0: All right, keep that Bible open. I want you to see that what we're uh, talking about each week and um, each time is is God's word, not my own, um, not our own. We uh, we like to preach the books of the Bible here, and this has been a fun one, Uh, and we got more coming. So, um, and the next two weeks are sex talks. So just plan on that. Invite your friends; be fun. Um, So. Probably in an area like ours, you've probably heard people, you've maybe been a part of these conversations, and you, you've, there's, there's been times when churches have been fighting amongst themselves or imploding or splitting, right, over the color of the flowers up front or who knows what, right? And, and, and oftentimes you, you may have been in the public square and heard people talking about how this church or that church could not get along. Or whatever, and, and that should grieve us as as a people of God. We shouldn't celebrate in any other churches. Like that should grieve us that that is a reality, um, and and unfortunately it is. Churches do split. Churches do have those sorts of things, and um, and this church, this this letter, the Book of First Corinthians, is a letter written to a church, a, a very jacked up church, to be clear. Um, and Paul was writing it, and he knows that he has a slew of issues to address. As I said, we're going to get into. Uh, sex the next couple of weeks. We got people, like he's going to have to address people getting drunk at communion. Uh, they got chaotic services, right? So people are speaking in tongues and, and having all kinds of weird experiences where everybody's leaving really confused and not coming back because that church was weird. And they got all sorts of, of, of really significant issues. But yet, Paul chooses to start the letter with a plea for unity plea for unity. And this is not the kind of unity that's just like, let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya and never talk about our issues. Last week, we just talked about church discipline. We talked about how we have to handle sin significantly enough, right, to the point that we are willing to have hard conversations. So this is not just some, you know, happy-go-lucky unity where we never talk about our issues. That never goes well. That leads to passive aggressiveness and honestly... Things, you know, church splits, to be honest. If you never talk about your issues, you never address one another. And so um, he, he started the book talking about division issues around leadership, and now he's going to move into uh, more issues with a whole series. In 1 Corinthians, we've just titled issues, but we've got some sub-series. We started out talking about division issues and around leadership, but now he's moving into, last week we started in relationship issues and how we should treat one another. And again, he's got several things to cover, but this week's issue is that they're actually suing one another. That within the church, within the membership, there's lawsuits, one against another, and that's just become a part of their everyday life, and they don't seem bothered by it. And so that's what Paul is going to handle today. They are actually suing one another. And so what he says, um, and again, I want to just keep in mind, like what Paul is going to push us to, like he did last week, is honestly to have the courage, to have the decency, the integrity, and the character to speak to one another, and to be willing to come to the table as peacemakers and 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 handle our business, because honestly, while it may seem like like if you just put the two on the table, like a conversation or a lawsuit, it may seem like the conversation is the the less costly of the two. But when we think about it emotionally, we think about okay, having to have those hard conversations, there are lots of times where people want to avoid that right and like point paul 's point last week was like hey don 't continue to you know make people comfortable and, and worry about offending people at the cost of their soul, you would rather offend them and their flesh and hopefully lead to the salvation of their soul rather than the other way around, right? You don't want to just let issues go for the sake of not hurting feelings. And meanwhile, you've got people that are actually in a very dangerous place before the Lord and you don't have the courage or the love to speak up to them. So this is a similar uh, situation where, where they're, they're, they, they think they're a very progressive church, Right? They think they 're a very tolerant church, and they think that they should be proud of that. They think that the, the way that they 're handling like we 're not going we 're not going to call one another out we 're not going we 're not going to call sin sin like we 're just going to do our this a new age thing and, and the, the, the gospel gives grace and so we 're just going to give a lot and they don 't speak truth to one another and it leads to some messiness it leads to lots of messiness and part of it is people are getting defrauded and, and having you know little spats here and there and instead of you know handling it within the church they 're taking their cases to the the actual, you know, courts of their day. And so that's what Paul is dealing with here. And he says right out the gate in verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, when one of you has a grievance against one another or against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? And what he means by that is he's not necessarily, like, we're going to look, and and this needs to be balanced with Romans 13 where it says that that, uh, God has put the government authorities in place and chooses to work through them for justice, for protection, and those are good things. But what he's saying here is you've got little disagreements and grievances one with one another, and you're taking them to these courts that a don't know Jesus. They've not been transformed. They are not Christians. Right? This is a Roman court, and so they have no knowledge of the, the new life, the transformed life, the gospel life that these that, that, that Jesus has done in this place. So so they have no they don't have that perspective. They don't share the same values, they're not operating off of the same um, you know level of, of we should lead out with mercy and love for one another. They're just looking at things, you know, ideally from a you know legal perspective. But more than that, this court. Um, not unlike sometimes ours today is is corrupt and biased, right? There's there's much evidence that the Roman court like was consistently biased toward the wealthy people, and and so a lot of these lawsuits were wealthy people suing <clears throat> people who were struggling to make ends meet and calling their debts and those sorts of things. and And Paul says we should have have none of that. And how dare you? When you do have issues, how dare you take it? When, you, when you're a brother and a sister in in the church, how dare you take that issue before? Judge in the city, like it's unnecessary, and it's actually, we'll see in a moment, it's a shame to us. And so, verse two, he says, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? So, first of all, you're like, okay, he said saints, so is he just talking about the really, really good people, or is this like the Catholic world, right? Like the patron saint of real estate, and those, you know, it's like, is this a saint? Thing or no no when Bible, when the New Testament speaks of saying, it's just talking about people who love and believe in Jesus right so that the, the next thing he says is, is you right so he's talking about you he's talking about us like we will judge the world now that's a weird statement and that takes some unpacking we won't get into it a ton but I'll just point you to Matthew 19 and Jesus says this like in the end when when we get to the the end of the deal here Jesus says truly I say to you you got me manny. Uh, That whenever in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his on his glorious throne, you will have followed me. You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So we are going to we are created in His image. That's what we were meant to do in the in the beginning was to rule with God. You go back to Genesis one and two; like that was the whole idea was that we would be God's image bearers. We would rule the earth, um, you know, in his, His like. Through, through, he would rule through us, and that was the plan, and that's what he's going to restore to. So, in the end, we're going to sit on these thrones with, with Jesus, and it's going to be this weird thing. I don't know how it all works out, but we're going to be judging even angels and demons. Like, we're going to be a part of that. And so, Paul says, Listen, that's your future. That's what you've been bought into. That's where you're headed, you all will be a part of the judgment of the whole world. And, and yet, and yet, are you, not, are you incompetent, he says, to try trivial cases? So that's just, he's saying, listen, you're going to judge with Jesus one day, and yet you can't even sort out these disagreements amongst one another. Do you not know that we are to judge angels, he says in verse 3. How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? So what he's saying here is, when we have disagreements, when we have, and, and, and part of it, like, If you think about it, like when you really lay the ethic that Jesus has brought um, in the Sermon on the Mount and in his teaching consistently, he would really say, like, hey, when you're wronged, like, don't return evil with evil. Like, just return evil with good and move on. And so, in some ways, he should be calling us to say, like, hey, somebody's wronged you, you just love them. Return evil for good and, and you try to cover over that sin and move on. And so that's kind of that's actually where we should live. But Paul r- realizes that not everybody's gonna be able to rise to that, and so he's willing to to deal with them in some way. And so he's he's not saying that you you won't sometimes have situations that need mediation. He's saying don't run out and file a lawsuit against a brother or sister. Instead, have a daggum conversation with one another. And if you still can't come to to, you know, a resolution, then bring somebody in from the church. Like, it doesn't have to be a judge. Like, he's saying we have a wisdom that comes from, from God that is not like wisdom from man, and we have the fruit of the Spirit. We, and, and, and that should be how we regulate things anyway. So he's saying, hey, grab somebody from the church. Grab somebody who's, who's not partial to the situation, right? Who, who stands to gain or benefit nothing. Grab your community group leader. Grab one of the elders. One of the pastors. Grab a friend and just say, "Hey, we got this disagreement. Will you just help us mediate?" And and, and Paul's saying, like, you should be able to handle this on your own. Now, listen, we, we need to we need to be clear. The 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 language there is trivial cases. Okay, so this this passage has been misused and abused in some ways that are frankly, quite strange and concerning and alarming, but I feel like we should at least acknowledge them. What this doesn't mean is that we as Christians or we in the church don't prosecute crime. Okay? It doesn't mean that. There have been some churches, to their shame, who have said, because of this, when there's been reports of Abuse or pedophilia or sexual abuse at any other, like that they've said, well, we're not going to be a, you know, we're not going to take one another to court. We're not going to have the, we're we're just going to cover over that. We're not going to take it to the authorities. And too often, way too often, perpetrators of abuse like that have been allowed to leave one church and go right on to the next and continue to perpetrate. And that is not honoring to the Lord. So let's be clear about that. This is not talking about criminal, harmful, perverted, Behavior, criminal cases, criminal activity needs to be handled the way that criminal activity needs to be handled. Romans thirteen says that God put those authorities in place for our good for a reason, and we should treat them as such. And so, so just to be clear, that is not what he's talking about. He's about trivial cases of disagreement here. He's talking about when, when you know, one of when you make an agreement with one another. Maybe you purchase a, a vehicle from from someone in the church and. And there's an agreement. Hey, it's a good car, as far as I know. I, you know, I just want you to know, like, if anything happens in the, in the first, you know, six to eight weeks, like, I'll pay for it because I, I want you to have peace about this purchase. And you know, you drive away, and the car blows up, and you come back to that person, and you're like, Hey, you, you said, you know, your word said, like, Hey, if this is a piece of junk, then I'll cover it. And they go, Yeah, you know, whatever. I didn't really mean that. I was just trying to look good. And now you're kind of, you know, up a creek. And and so you come back and you say, Well, hey, I, I entered this agreement. Because of this, you know, the word you gave me. And so, but what Paul's saying is, rather than take that sort of disagreement and run that to a lawsuit and, and take that before courts so who don't share our value as Christians, like, handle that within the church. Like, talk to one another and get a mediator, get a community group leader, get an elder, get, get somebody to sit with you and bring mediation there. There's even organizations that that do, you know... Um, mediation from a, from a higher legal level that it can kind of bring that in. But, but honestly, what Paul's talking about is, is trivial cases like that. Issues of disagreement, issues of, of you know, maybe you, you, same thing, you purchased a home or you hired somebody to do some work on your home, you, you paid them, that, you know, that you don't feel like you got the, the work completed to the degree that they promised and, and you're trying to, to sort that out. These are the sorts of cases we're talking about, not criminal cases of abuse and harm in, in those ways. That is not what is he, being addressed here. And so I just want to make that wanna make that clear. Uh this also doesn't mean this there's things that this, he's not saying. This doesn't mean that that Christians should never enter, enter into a lawsuit with anybody. That that's not what, what this passage is saying. It's talking about trivial cases between brothers and sisters. There are times. There are times when things are not trivial. Right? Where you have been wronged in such a way that that you know livelihood is at stake. And in those times, like it may need to happen, you know, and, and even if we're talking about people outside the church, like it, we we may need to bring in legal recourse there. But but again, that that should be a last resort. That that should be uh, something we go to after we've exercised what we what we looked at last week from First Corinthians chapter five, right, where we've we've gone to the brother or to the sister with one and said, hey, you wronged me here, please repent and make this right. If they don't do it, then we take somebody else with them with us and say, hey, you've been wrong here. Will you please make this right and repent? Right? And and if any point they they repent, we we move on. We we make we make amends. And but if they they continue to not do that, then then it goes all the way to the church and we say, okay, well now this person is, is clearly acting as though they're not a Christian and so we're gonna remove our affirmation of their Christ of, of their Christianity, because they're not acting as though Jesus is Lord. And I'm, very, I'm summarizing this. Go back and listen to last week's sermon if you don't know what I'm talking about. But, but, but this should all be done in that same context, right? Even if there is big, non-trivial issues, we should still relationally engage first. But what may happen is we may see that, that, that someone is actually defrauding people. They may say they're a Christian, and they're actually not a Christian at all. But there's a way to sort of test that, and that is through walk through Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5 that we looked at last week is to to give them the benefit of the doubt, call them to repent, call them to engage. And if they will not, then they're they're showing you that, hey, Jesus isn't their Lord because they don't have a soft heart who's turning back to them. So this doesn't mean that, that Christians should never enter into a lawsuit. It means we should be grieved to have to do it, and it should be a last resort. and It should be done relationally. And it shouldn't have to happen within a church amongst believers, amongst members. It shouldn't have to. And again, those should be only significant matters we're talking about non trivial matters at that point and it again should be after relational church discipline is pursued and applied so this in the same light it, this doesn't mean that people get away with long term sin against one another okay so say you 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 hire that person to do that job on your house and and they 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 take your money they don't complete uh the job and, and you go to them and and you you say hey listen I feel like I'm wronged here, please make it right, please finish the job or give my money back so that I can pay somebody else to. And, and they, they say, listen, I can't, I'm sorry, there's no way I can do it. And listen, you, there may be times whenever you, you, like in that moment, what he's gonna say later is like, hey, we should value one another, we should value our brotherhood more than we do money, and we'll get to that in a moment. And so you may say, listen, I'm gonna eat this cost because I love you, right? And I'm not gonna call this because I love you and I'm gonna choose our relationship over this amount of money. And, and hopefully that leads them to repentance, and, the, and they, you know, they do all they can to make it right. But listen, if not, like you give forgiveness. But, but here's, here's what I'm saying. If they go on to the next person in the church and do the same thing, okay, we're not going to keep allowing that. You, know, see, you see what I mean? Like This is talking about relational restoration. And if somebody is just defrauding people under the guise of being a Christian because they know we won't take each other to court, we know we, we won't act that way, then we're going to call that out. We're going to call sin, sin, and we're going to exercise you know, go back to 1 Corinthians 5. We're going to do the same sort of thing. If this person's repeating this, this thing, we're going, to, we're going to call them out. We're going to engage them relationally. And so it doesn't mean that people get to just keep perpetrating ongoing sin against one another and, and taking advantage of Christians who, who won't go to court. All right, so that's, that's some of the things it's not saying. He's saying, if you have trivial cases, use one another. God has given you wisdom. Use one another to, to mitigate and mediate that sort of thing. So on to verse five, he says, I say this to your shame, that they're taking, taking their matters to court. Can it be, and listen, uh, this is as one pastor called, this is PhD level shame that he's throwing at them here. If you read, this is why you got to read the Bible in context, right? You just read one passage, you're going to miss out on so much. Paul has been calling, like, he has been talking about their obsession with wisdom from the very beginning of this book, right? That's what they're divided over, is is who's, who's the better teacher, preacher, who's, who's more wise, and as I said, this culture is not super concerned about things being right, they're just concerned about sounding smart and, and delivering a good message, and that's what they all sort of rally around, and that's what they are divided around, and so he's been talking to them about how they think they're wise when really they've been called to, to submit to the Lord, and, and it's, you know, the Lord's wisdom is not the world's wisdom. He's been having these conversations. So they've been obsessed with wisdom. They've been puffed up and acting as though they are the wisest people ever. So Paul is, is turning this back around on him and saying, or could it be that there's no one wise enough among you to sort out little grievances here? And so he's sort of doing a jab back at them whenever he says in verse five, can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle dispute amongst these brothers? So Paul is sort of, Twisting back around and reminding them of their obsession of being wise, he said, "If you're so daggum wise, why not settle your own stuff in house? You got people that are so smart and, and like and take your disputes to them and not to the to the to the local Roman courts." Verse six. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. There's there's grief in Paul's voice there. He says, "Listen, verse seven. To have lawsuits at all." With one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Paul is saying, listen, this is a horrible witness. You think about the reality of two church members standing before a judge, fighting and arguing with one another, cutting each other down, and trying to get the most out of the other. That they can. You Think about the witness that that judge is, That Maybe that judge is a believer, maybe they're not. But you think about what they're thinking about the church and what they're thinking about Christianity in that moment. Right? These Christians can't get along. They can't even solve their own issues. They can't forgive one another. They can't let things go. And they, you know, imagine they've been witness to and they go, man, they, they want me to believe in this deal. They want me to join this party. Like, I don't want any part of this deal. I don't want any part of this hatefulness. Paul says it's a horrible witness. It's a horrible witness that you would take your disputes out into the, to the world's courts and air that dirty laundry and, and, and show yourself to be so trivial amongst these people that you're, you're trying to win, you're trying to lead to the Lord, you're trying to witness to, it's a tragedy. There's a quote by uh, commentator, J. Murphy O'Connor. He says that the reason this matters, our, our unity matters, he says, a united community in which love dominates is the existential affirmation of the truth of the gospel. That's a mouthful. I'm going to say that first sentence again. A united community in which love dominates is the existential affirmation of the truth of the gospel. A community which contains within itself the divisions which characterize the world has no power to transform its environment because the contradiction between theory and practice is too evident. What he's saying here is, is listen, if we don't look any different than the world, if we don't handle our disputes and love one another any differently than the world does, if our, if we look just like them, we have no power to transform the world. We have no power to make a difference and influence the world and lead them to Christ. We can't say, you should come to my church. You should come meet my Jesus. You should come be a part of my community group as we're walking into the courtroom to sue our brother or sister over some trivial matters. That doesn't add up. And Paul is grieved by it, and he's telling them that they should be as well. He says, you should rather be wronged and defrauded than to take this sort of defaming work before the world in Jesus' name. Why? Because we've been transformed. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But, but what he's saying is, is have, like show the world that we love one another, that we love God more than we love money. Because most of the time, that's what these disputes are going to be about. Right? Show the world that we're not lovers of money to the point that we're willing to sacrifice relationships and, 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 and church health over some dollars. Instead, we're going to allow ourselves to be defrauded and trust in the Lord to keep his mission going forward. Like, show the world that we care more about God and one another than we do about a few bucks. That's what Paul is calling us to here, is to say, listen, you should be grieved that, he says, to have lawsuits at all, that's already a loss for you. It's already a defeat for you that you have these sorts of, like you should be grieved by that and you should engage them with tears and and work toward reconciliation. The peacemakers that Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, we should be working toward peace with one another. And so he says, the very fact that you have these things is already a defeat, but now you're going to take them and air them before a a non-Christian Roman court? He says, no, it's it's a shame, it's a shame. But, but still, some people hold on so tight because they just can't let it go. They just can't. And sometimes it's in the name of justice. They, they have to be right. They have to make sure that other people know they're right. They have to make sure that justice is served. And we, so often, the Bible speaks to this because we think we need to control justice. We think we need to handle our, our own vengeance. And that's why the Bible says that you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, that, that we shouldn't allow ourselves to get caught up in that because it can destroy us, right? It can consume us. And so what Paul is going to do next is remind them, that listen, I know you may be feeling like to, get, to let this case go, you're going to, you're going to feel like you're, you're, you're letting this person not feel the consequences of their actions. You're letting this person, you're teaching a bad ethic because they're going to think that they can go do that to the next person. You're going to feel like justice needs to be served and they need to know that they are wrong. And what Paul is going to say is, hey, have you forgotten? Verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You know, hey, he says, hey, don't forget what this is all about here. Don't forget where this is all ending here. If this person... is is an unrighteous person that is truly hard-hearted and out to get you and out to defraud you, then the Lord will handle that business. The Lord will handle, he'll dole out justice into its full extent on the day of the Lord. Like, he will handle that. And if somebody is truly hard-hearted and not, you know, repentant about the situation, then they're probably showing themselves to not be truly a Christian, and the Lord's got to take care of that. And you winning the case is not shouldn't be your primary objective. You could trust that the Lord will bring justice and the Lord will provide for your needs because he says the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if they're truly that unjust, then like they may be on their way to hell and God will handle that. He'll handle that. Justice will be served. So, so that's the, the, the big idea that Paul is reminding them of. Say, hey, listen. God will take care of the details. He'll take care of... Of, of making sure that, that justice is served in any unrighteous person that is in unrepentant sin that is truly out to get you. That may be true, Paul is saying, but wouldn't you rather be defrauded, rather be taken advantage of, and keep the name of Jesus going forward than to win some case at the cost of dividing the church? He says, have you forgotten that the unrighteous, they're not going to get into heaven. They're not going to, if, if they have this hard heart where they're, and, and he's talking about unrepentant, long-term Like, I don't care what I do to you. I don't care what I do to you. I'm just going to keep doing my thing. He says, that person's not acting like Christ. They're showing no evidence of being a Christian. And if that's true, man, they've got much bigger issues than your little lawsuit. Let them go and pray for them and witness to them. Because if they're truly in that place of unrighteousness, they haven't been purchased by Jesus, they don't have a soft heart. Because here's what's going to happen. Most of the time when you have those conversations... Amongst true believers, when the Spirit of God abides in us, we have a soft-heartedness where we don't want to take advantage of one another. And if it's if pointed out to us that we did, most of the time amongst you know the church and people of God, there is repentance there. There's a soft heart. Like we said last week, most of these confrontations in church discipline don't get past stage one or two. Why? Because people love Jesus and they have the Spirit of Jesus in their heart and they don't want to grieve Jesus. And so when they're pointed out that they're in sin, most often... There's, there's repentance there. And even if I can't pay you back right now, I'm going to weep and I'm going to apologize and we're going to try to figure this thing out. That's what happens most of the time. Most of the time, that's what's going to happen. But we have to have the courage to have those conversations. It, it may be easier at times to just go file a lawsuit and leave the church and move on and whatever. But no, Paul says, do the hard thing. Go have the conversation. Bring somebody else in. Try to mediate and and bring reconciliation. Because if they're a believer in Jesus, they have a higher ethic to be called to. They have a higher... Uh, value system. We know that this world is not what matters anyway. Our treasure is in heaven, not on earth, and we can let those things go. So Paul is giving them some perspective and reminding them that he'll handle justice at the end. And if they're truly unrighteous, they're not on their way to heaven anyway. And now he's going he's to move in and just remind them, it, it, it's not just about, well, if this person's trying to get money from this person, he's going to actually move into a list of sins here. And he's going he's to say, like... Um, any of the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Meaning, if if, if people continue in these sins, and they're, they're he's not talking about the, the sexually immoral, the person uh, you know who who looked at porn yesterday and is in repentance and is grieved by that act and is is trying to kill that sin and walking in repentance, he's not talking about those people because as, he, as he's going to show us in the end, we've like there's justification in Jesus. But the people who who have no grief for their sin, the people who just continue to 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 do any of these things over and over again, he said we should be grieve for them because they're, they're, they, they haven't met Jesus yet. Because if we've met Jesus, then our lives have been changed. And that's kind of the point of this whole passage is, hey, you're having this witness outside the world that, that that tells the world that your Jesusness, your church membership is just another thing like a club, and it really didn't affect or change you. Because if you really met Jesus, you've been transformed from the inside out, and there'll be something different about you. And, and so it's really, do we reflect who we say we are? This is what the world sees actually look like who Jesus has made us to be. And so he's going to remind them of the state of the world. He's going to remind them. He's going to go through this list of sins and saying, anybody who continues in these, he says, do not be deceived. God's not mocked. Right? You reap what you sow. These people continue in this lifestyle, God will handle it. And he says, Don't be deceived. The end of verse 9. Neither the sexually immoral, right? And so that's a that that's that's, that's the person looking at porn. That's the person Um, You know, sleeping around when when they're not married, sleeping with multiple partners. Like, the sexually immoral is is sort of this junk drawer term for anybody that's participating in, engaging in things that are not between a man and a wife inside of a covenant marriage. He says, the sexually immoral people who don't care about their sexual acts, like, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, neither the the idolaters. That sort of has more... Immediate relevance for them. We're not as familiar with that. But that's basically putting anything that's not God in the place of God. right? So it can be your job, it can be your kids, it can be your cat. But anything that, and if it is, I don't even know, what, but that's real concerning. But anything you put in the place of God that is not God himself is idolatry. And so anybody who's just continuing to give their life at the altar of fill in the blank, right? Popularity, look, like... Those people, they're also in danger of going to hell because they're not showing any repentance in their heart. They're not showing any fruit of following Jesus. And he says, nor adulterers. So this is people that are married that are participating in acts of, of sex outside of their marriage. They're having affairs. They're, they're uh, you know, having illicit conversations. They're looking at like adultery, he says, is, is an issue as well. He says, and nor men who practice homosexuality. Now listen, this is, a, this is the thing that gets elevated as, as the thing to debate in the Christian world and in our culture today, right? And our culture wants to attack how, how churches handle, and they all want to know, how, what's your church stand on homosexuality? And they want to make it its own thing, and that's where we go wrong. I, I want to, this is exactly where that issue belongs. It is among the list of other sins and other issues. It is one of the sins and one of the issues that God is not okay with. It is not the only one. It is not them, and then us. God does not deal with us who who have more natural or more traditionally acceptable sins like lust and gluttony, as we're going to see, and idolatry, and um, you know what Um, else—being a drunkard, being a reviler, a swindler. Like God's not going to deal with us any differently than He is those that are in. Homosexuality. Like it is, it, is, it is a sin amongst the list of sins that God is not okay with. And so yes, God does have a standard for how our sexuality is to be lived out. It is with one man, one woman for a lifetime. That is his standard, period. He has the right to say that. It is out of love. It is what's best for us. And it is messy. I get that. And our culture is often not okay with that. And sometimes some of you have a struggle with being okay with that. And I get that. And I want to pastorally lean in and let you see the Father's heart in that. But I want you to hear that it is in a list. It is not, you are not, if, if that is you, and you struggle with same-sex attraction. And maybe you've told people, maybe you haven't. I want you to know that that y- you are not amongst them, where the rest of us are over here. It's just not true. It's us. We. That's what he's going to say. And such were some of you. That's us. We are, are All separated. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have things to repent for. All of us have rebelled against God's design for our life, some of us in ways that are more acceptable by the culture and than others, but nonetheless the solution is to repent and trust Jesus and try to live out his design for our life and not to try to justify what we want or what we feel or what's inside of us. And so there are many faithful believers who who struggle with same-sex attraction, but have surrendered that to the Lord saying, God, I know this is outside of your design, so I'm not going to participate in it, and I'm going to follow you. And sometimes God changes their desires, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes they live a whole life in that exact posture where they are attracted to the same sex, but they surrender to the Lord and live that out. Now listen, our culture is making me do exactly what Paul doesn't want us to do, single this issue out and talk more about it. But if we don't, we run the risk of of there being gross misunderstanding and gross abuse of, of what God has actually said. So while that is true of someone who has same-sex attraction, God does say that lifestyle is not aligned with mine and you need to repent of that sin and come to me. The same is true for those of you who like to overeat. The same is true for those of you who like to gossip. The same is true for those of you who like to look at porn or ogle at every woman that you see or every man that you see that is lusted and full of idolatry. The same is true. Not different and oh, they're over there and when they get that figured out, they can come over here. No, no, no. We're all in that, that same pool of brokenness and sin that needs Jesus to pull us out. And so I want us to be a place where those who are in that lifestyle can come and hear the gospel, can come and, and be called to repent of their sin, not just their sexual sin, not just their sexual orientation, but of their sin, that, that we deal with the gospel and their need to be justified before a holy God as first and foremost, just like we do with all of you. That we didn't check with you to make sure that you had, you know, cast off your drunkenness or your porn addiction or your whatever before we allowed you to come to Jesus. Instead, we just said, hey, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And then we got some stuff to talk about because Jesus is going to rearrange your whole life. But we, we, we start there. And so that's the the posture of the apostle Paul. Like he says, yeah, these are issues. And anybody who says, I don't care what God says, I'm going to live my life this way, whether that's about homosexuality or any of the other list of sins, Paul says they won't inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to get into heaven giving God the finger the whole time. God will not be mocked. You reap what you sow. If you don't care about God's standards, it doesn't matter what sin it applies to, you're showing yourself to not be a follower of Jesus. And Paul says, fruit would show, evidence would say, I don't know that you're forgiven. I don't know that you've trusted. You've not made Jesus your Lord. If you were, then you'd be in repentance. So this is not talking about the person who's brokenhearted. It's not talking about the person who's at the altar weeping, the person who's fighting their sin, the person who's confessing and, 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 and grieved by what they're experiencing inside and what they've never told anybody. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the people who are hard hearted and saying, I don't care what you say, God. I want to do things my way, and I'll make up my own rules, and I'll justify it however I want because I don't want to be told what to do. That's what Paul's talking about here. He says, we don't have to freak out about them, church, because they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. If that's truly where they are, we should be praying for their soul and witnessing to them as though they're not Christians. Because God will handle his justice. He'll handle those things. We don't have to point out these little things and take our grievances to court. Anybody who's living in unrepentant sin, the the Lord's going to handle that. Verse and just, just to finish the list, nor thieves, nor the greedy, right? And we think of thieves as somebody breaking into our house and taking things. If you're, if you're, um, you know, you're cheating your boss out of work time because you're spending hours on Facebook, you're stealing, right? Like this it, is not just these grandiose, awful. Like anybody who's living in a posture of I don't care, I'll do what I want, and apply it to these issues. Like that's what Paul's talking about. Nor the greedy, right? Somebody who, who's saying, No, I'm not going to be generous to you. You don't care about your need. All I care about is getting more for myself. That's a problem that, that is out of line with God's design for the way his people should live. Nor the drunkards, right? People who are saying, Well, I can, I'm, I'm forgiven. God's not, you know, he doesn't condemn alcohol, you know, in general, so I, I can do what I want. And so I drank a little too much. You know, drank a little too much. I don't want to hear that from God. I don't want to be called out on that. No, I said, No, that, that's a problem. If you're consistently. Rebelling against God in any of these ways, the revilers, the swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. God has this. He doesn't need you to police those little bitty things. He wants you to proclaim the gospel and teach them how they can find forgiveness in life in Jesus. He'll handle justice. And here's why verse 11. And such were some of you. How dare you become so arrogant, Paul says, that you forget where your own salvation lies, that you forget where you came from, and such were some of you, but, but, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the spirit, of our God, he's saying, you are different, so you should be living, differently, you are different, not because you chose, to join this club, and you're following all the rules, but because Jesus, has changed you, because it says, you're you're washed, you're you're sanctified, and you're justified, Uh, it's, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 6, but it says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, he, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Paul saying, this is what defines us, church. This is what matters most. You die on these hills. You, you are, are bound together by this truth, not worrying about trivial pursuits of, of, of different grievances. He's saying, you were also in just as much sin as the people that you're enraged about. But Jesus came, and in his goodness, according to his own mercy, washed us clean. It means he washes the power of sin off of our hearts. He, he, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and he gives us the Holy Spirit to renew us from the inside out. That's the good news of Christianity. It's not come over here, let's have this club where we do good, you know, and act like we're better than everybody else. No, no, it's, it's a group of people who know that apart from Jesus Christ, we're damned and doomed in front of a holy God. We have no hope but because of what Jesus has done. We are washed, we are set free, we are regenerated, we are made clean, and that makes us into a people full of humility, full of love for one another, and full of love for our community. And that has the power to transform our community. That has the power to be a witness. Paul says don't sacrifice that over some trivial pursuit of legal matters. Lay yourself down like Christ did. Show the world that the greatest treasure we can have is not money and possessions and stuff. And even to be, you know, to be right and to have our, our, our case went, like that's not the greatest the greatest treasure has been given to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we're forgiven, we're made whole, and we are adopted into God's family. We have an eternity, an inheritance in heaven that far outweighs anything this life could bring. And that is what value. That is what we value, and that's what defines us as a people. And that is what has power to transform. Let's pray, God. I'm grateful for the truths of your scripture that, indeed, you are the one who saves us, based off of what you have done. I pray that that wouldn't be just a thing we hear, and and move on. It goes in one ear out the other. I pray that it would be something that wrecks us this morning, that the gospel would would once again in a fresh way just destroy our pride, destroy our idolatry, d- just destroy the sin within us, Lord, that we may be brought to a place of worship, a place of overwhelming praise because of what you have done, Jesus. So would you send your spirit to accomplish your work? in this place amongst this people it's in Jesus name we ask it